I won't deny it, I'm a Southsider, you don't want to mess with me, got the police rushing at me, but I'm calm cause I'm smoking that CBD, said I won't deny it, I'm a Southsider, you don't want to mess with me, got the police looking for me, but I'm chilling in the back of the VIP, said she won't deny it, she's a Northsider, you don't want to mess with her, got the police looking for her. But they can't do nothing to a shamanic keeper. Said he won't deny it. He's a Southsider. You don't want to mess with him. Got the police looking for him. But he doesn't really care. Because they can't do nothing to the director of government affairs. Bam. <laughs> That's as good as Mic I can drop. do on one take. Wow. Ah, <laughs> Did not expect that. <laughs> I closed my eyes, too, because I found in the past that when I did these, if I was looking at people, I'd make more mistakes. Like when Amy and friggin' Devon were on, on one of the last episodes, started trying to, like, look at them. She's filming me for Snapchat and shit. I'm like, they can't do nothing to a top producer. Oh, it came back to me in the middle of it, you know what I mean? That uh, pressure. <laughs> hello, everyone out there. I'm attorney Brian Tierney. This is the Blessed Life University podcast, The Blue Podcast for short. I normally don't even mention that I'm an attorney, but it was a force of habit from one of the old podcasts I used to do. Uh, with me today is Tilsa Fernandez. She's the owner of Divine Yoni Goddess. She has um, a wedding uh, vows business where she marries people as an officiant for weddings. And she has seven beautiful children that probably keep her busy and maybe drive her crazy all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> also with me is Christopher Anderson, the Government Affairs Director for the Chicago Association of Realtors. Um, we're going to be talking about the upcoming primary election here um, in Illinois. So we have the Democrat primary coming up June 28th. June 28th. And um, a Republican primary. So it's, it's primary day, but you got to pick which one you want to be with. You got It's like it's like you got to pick your side. You know, you, when you go to the county, you can't say you're neutron. You, you with somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's kind of weird because I don't know if every state makes you choose whether you want the Republican primary bad ballot or Democrat ballot, I think a lot of them you can pick. Like, you can, you can cross lines. Match. Like, yeah. you know what? This is a Democrat I like, and this Republican I like him. So, yeah. you know, or her. Um, I wouldn't say we're uh, atypical, but it uh, it's one of those things where you hear people, especially in old movies, talk about: Are you a registered Republican or you're a registered Democrat? That's basically what they mean by registration. That you're uh, pulling that ballot in their respective primary. So. One of the knocks, and I'm sure we'll get into the race a little bit more, but one of the knocks against one of the Republican candidates for governor is that in past elections, he's actually pulled a Democratic primary ballot. But if you got a friend that's running on the Democrat side, you want to make sure that one friend gets elected, then you got to pull a Democrat ballot to elect that one friend, a dog catcher, and may not vote for any of the other elections. But that does that mean that you're really a Republican or a Democrat? You know, there's no purity test. It's just saying that you voted in the Democrat election in the past. I see. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going to pull a ballot, I would think you would, you know, at least check off some of the other ones, too, instead of vote for just one candidate. But it is the primary. Correct. And not every state does primaries, do they? No, every state will do a primary. Okay. They may not do it the same way. So people that are coming to Chicago from Seattle, let's yeah. say, going to an actual physical location is something new for them. Uh, in Seattle, you do it all by mail. And there's a few states where you do it by mail. Uh Primary election is how you get your candidate usually for Democrat and then how you get your candidate for Republican and those two square off. 
Now, in some places, I think like Louisiana and like in the municipal election we'll have in Chicago next year, they have a, a general runoff election. And that basically means that anybody can run from any party and the top two getters will then face off in a general election. So if you've got 20 people in the race and the person that comes in first gets 15% of the vote and the person that comes in second gets 12% of the vote, those two advance. So you could have two Republicans, you got two Democrats, you got two Libertarians, you can have a Democrat and a Republican, um, and that's quite often that you'll see that in other states like Louisiana. That's interesting. Right. I didn't know it came down to two people at the end. Yeah. So you got to get 50% plus one. And like I said, we'll talk, I'm sure, about the city election a little bit. But, uh, you know, you got 20 people in the race. And if nobody fails to get 50% plus one, so there's 100 ballots cast, nobody has 51 votes, then the top two getters then advance to the next round. And they're probably asking all the people they beat, the other 18, hey, will you endorse me? Would you send your friends to come vote for me? And then between those two, you got to get 51%. Of the vote to win, and that's for the Chicago mayoral election. That's how the Chicago mayoral election works, and like I said, like the state of Louisiana, I think that most of their elections work that way as well. It's kind of an open, open primary. I think they actually call it jungle primary in some places. That's interesting. Maybe yeah, it's just like a wild, yeah, primary. <laughs> exactly, and like I said, you know, your top three vote getters could be Republican, or your top three could be Democrat. There's no rhyme or reason for it. If it's a heavily Republican state like Louisiana, you expect most of your. Uh, Top top people to be of a certain ilk, but let's say there's let's say there's 20 Republicans running or 19 Republicans running and one Democrat. If the Democrat harnesses all the Democrat votes there are to get, and then the other 19 split up all the Republican votes, then you know you might have a runoff between a Democrat and Republican. That's interesting. But when the when 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 the when the axe falls and it's time for the actual general primary, or excuse me, the general election then that Democrat probably is not going to fare as well because he still has that same pool of Democrat votes. Smaller chunk. And then the Republican will coalesce all the Republican votes that were out there. Yeah. You mentioned civil libertarian, too, and I don't know about you guys, but it would be nice to see a few viable ones around here. You know what I mean? I just I feel like they're not represented uh, well enough. In the I think we're about 800 miles too far east to get those true libertarians. You start to see that in your more western states, your Colorados, your Wyomings, your Idahos, Property rights, you know, drug rights, things of that nature. But uh, yeah, we don't get, we don't have a strong libertarian uh, movement here in Illinois. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem like it. I think yeah. the government's very happy with the structure they have here, with the maps they have here, mm-hmm. with uh, with all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I like it personally. I'm I'm one of those people. It's like I'm in the center, and 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 I'm kind of like a socially liberal and fiscally type of conservative. Um, but, but all about individual liberties, you know, especially after everything we've been through with coronavirus and all that and the, the results of that. But, uh, yeah, no, it would be cool to, to have a few more civil libertarians in the mix <laughs> around here. Uh, I, I, and I wouldn't even think about it. I When I was younger, I always kind of thought about getting into politics, but it's not for me, man. It's, it's a dirty it business. Could be. It's a dirty business. Moment. It, it's crazy it could be, but being a doctor could be a dirty business. You know, come home with blood right. on your hands all every day. <laughs> being a veterinarian is a dirty business. Come home with dog poop on your hands every mm-hmm. day. It That's depends true. on what type of dirt you want to get engaged in. I mean, the dog poop would be all right, but if they catch me coming out of polecats one night or something like that, they're like, hey, I was honest about it. I told you I was there. What are we judging for? You know, whatever. But You're a man of to, the people. They'll try to friggin'. You're right. It's a good way to network sometimes, too. You go there with your <laughs> realtors or whatever, not naming any names. You know, I never do that. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, 
you got to be able to live your life, and I feel like it's a lot of judgment and all that stuff that I don't care for. So if they're going to judge me, they're going to judge me on what I'm saying on here and not on the you know the, the campaign trail. But um, so we have our we have our primary coming up on the 28th, and um, that's going to be for the governor of Illinois, correct? For state reps, yes. And then the following year in 2023, we're going to have the uh, the Chicago uh, primary uh, is a primary or general for Chicago. So let me back up. Yeah. So for June 28th, you'll yeah. be able to cast your ballot for governor. All of what you call your constitutional statewide elected officers, so Secretary of State, where there's a Democrat, a pretty heavy Democrat primary also for that race, uh, your comptroller, your attorney general, your treasurer, which I think are pretty uncontested. Yeah. All of the members of the Illinois General Assembly are on the ballot this time because this is a redistricting year. Some um, in the House, excuse me, all in the House because they're up for two-year terms. Yeah. So you every 10 years you elect a member to the House five times in that district. And then with the Illinois senators, they're all up for re-election this time, but then they also draw because their terms are four years. But within this 10-year bracket for the census, between now and the next census, they will either serve two years, then four, four, or they'll serve four years, then two, then another four, or they'll serve four, four, and then two. That's the way their terms are broken up. So even though they have traditionally a four-year term, uh, because they got to make it equal out to 10, Somewhere in that ten-year period, they got to serve a two-year term, and like I said, they're all up for re-election now. Some for four years, some for two, but um, that's just the way they they balance things out. And then also more locally, not in our city races, but there's some county races. The county board president is up for re-election. She has a challenger, a former county commissioner. Uh, all your county board commissioners are up for re-election. All seventeen of them, and then some of your county-wide elected officials are up for re-election. Not all, but some, such as. Uh, the county clerk is up for re-election. But, again, those are pretty quiet. I think the most noise coming out of the county right now is for the assessor's race, which I'm sure we'll touch on. And um, and like you said, and then they were done for a couple of months in June. You'll start to see nominating petitions again for people running for citywide elections around somewhere around Labor Day. So people will be knocking on your doors in Labor Day. If you're going to open the door because of COVID, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and then you'll sign petitions for people. And then in November... We have a general election, so whoever wins the Democrat primary for governor and whoever wins the Republican primary for governor will then face off, and then we'll have a new governor elected and sworn in in January. And while that's all going on, all the machinery that's getting ready for the city election is happening at the same time where people are getting petitions, they're filing, they'll probably end up filing sometime in November. Uh, people will challenge the ballot. So good work for you if you want to become an election attorney, Brian. Yeah, that's but. not a good one. That one's bad. So uh, people will, you know, fight to stay on the ballot, fight to kick other people off the ballot. And it's all types of strategies to go into these type of decisions. If you're on a ballot and it's like uh, two women, you probably want to keep two on the ballot uh, because, you know, the traditional notion is women vote for women. And so, you know, that will split that women vote. Versus you only had one woman on the, in, the, in the ballot, then, you know, all that women vote will coalesce around her. So, I mean, there's a lot of strategies on who gets kicked off and who stays on the ballot. And then we'll have a municipal election in February of 2023. And for each ward in the city of Chicago, the mayor, the clerk of the city, and the treasurer of the city will all up be for re-election. And in each of those races, if it's a challenger, again, they all have to get 50% of the vote plus one. And if not, then there's a primary, and then there's a runoff that'll happen in April. And then after that runoff in April, 
then the new city government is sworn in sometime in mid to late April. So uh, it sounds complicated, but it's not. It's not really when you when you when you work this business for a while. Well, you explained it well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Thank you. Have all the dates right on point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I should be writing this. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a great lesson in like, civics and like um, Illinois, you know, voting rights and all this. It, there, it, right, because a lot of people just don't know, um, and they only vote for president. Yeah. These are all the important candidates that we need to pay close attention to. You know, so so when people ask, you know, Chris, I vote in a primary election. Chris, I vote in a local election. The answer is always yes. yes. I always encourage democracy, even though jokingly I say now as a lobbyist, I don't want democracy. You know, I I want to have my way when it comes to politicians. But right. actually, I do want people engaged and involved. But when it comes down to it, who controls your life more on a day to day basis, Joe Biden or Lori Lightfoot? The answer is Lori Lightfoot. Right. On your day to day basis, Joe Biden can't tell your kid he or she can or cannot go downtown because they're underage and they have a curfew. But the mayor of the city of Chicago can. There's some ACLU constitutional law professors that are challenging that and don't think that she may have that authority. But on a day-to-day basis, who can control your life? The president of the United States or the governor or the mayor? It always comes down to that local official. So you need to be involved. You need to be engaged. You need to be voting so you really can have the type of government that you want. If you want no water bills, you want no library book fees and fines, you know, you need to vote at the local level. That's not something Joe Biden can do for you. Yeah, I I was always um, a person who, you know, through my father and I had a neighbor, he's like, you know, you got to vote, you got to vote. This is a very important right that you have. You got to use it. So I would vote in, you know, pretty much every election, primary in general. Uh, I think I've only missed one since I was 18 or something. Um, I'm trying to think if I've missed one. I don't believe I have, but I may have. I may have. Yeah, I, I, I think I missed one when I had, I can't remember if it was knee surgery or what it was I had done, and I think I, I think I skipped it. I was just mentally not in the mood to, to go out there and do that, and I'll, like, I'll get back when the, when the general time comes. And but you could have requested a, uh, the mail, a mail by mail, by, yeah. by mail, by mail boat, too. You could have, but. I could have, yeah. I, you know, I didn't, I guess, I didn't think about it too I much understand. in that way. We Plus, I think there's deadlines and stuff yeah. like that. Like, I, I like the local system we have here, I go to the local park district or, you know, the school or whatever, and you go in there and you vote and it's nice and easy. And then it's, it's, it's for, as far as the mail-in ballots go, it's funny how in the president's uh, election in the last one, they were, you know, disputing mail-in ballots when there's some states that do it only that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting how that all works. But Those, um, are, those are talking points. That, that wasn't yeah. actual arguments. It's uh, funny now in Pennsylvania, they just had their primary. And the real contested primary is the Republican primary for Senate. And there's probably tens of thousands of uh, absentee mail-in ballots that have to be cast. And you remember, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Michigan were the states that people were saying where fraud was occurring and mail-in ballots is the issue. And it's going to be interesting to see that mail-in ballots are probably going to be what decides the Republican candidate for United States Senate. And I wonder if people are going to say the same thing, that these votes were rigged and they're fraudulent. Probably not. <laughs> not probably not. You're absolutely right. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, usually people say these things to suit their own purposes at the time. And yes. then later it's a dead issue. And exactly. And mention saying, oh, yeah. we got to do it by mail. Yeah, you forgot that we told you this shit was poison during the pandemic. But now it's all good. <laughs> we, we've somehow, it's magical and brand new and nobody cares anymore. But um, so, all right, so we have... We have our primary coming up um, in in June. Then we have a, another primary, but for city government in November. 
No, no. Or November's that's general. November's the general election. Yes, forgive me. Um, that's this year. And then the next year is when we have... Uh, February, our, our first uh, bite at the apple to elect your alderman, your, your city mayor, your city clerk, and your city treasurer for the city of Chicago. And then if in none of those candidates, so like I live in the 8th Ward, if the 8th Ward alderman uh, or automatic candidate does not get 50% of the vote plus one, then I have to go to a runoff election in April, in April yeah. and vote for the top two vote getters in that particular race. And the same is true for mayor. If you remember last time, there's 18 plus people running for mayor last time, and yeah. Lori Lightfoot made it to the runoff versus uh, Tony Perkwinkle, where she subsequently crushed the president um, and won every single ward in the city. Uh, yeah, but a lot of people didn't see that happening. You know, a lot of people had pegged Tony Perkwinkle versus Bill Daly. Uh, maybe Jeremiah Joyce, but nobody had Lori Lightfoot really going to the end to make the runoff, and uh, she surprised everybody. So, so we shall see um, how it goes. Um, I, it's a little surprising to me that the voters don't get fatigued here, though. You know, you get the primary, <laughs> get the primary in the summer, then you have a general in the fall, then you have city uh, elections in the spring. So, so you know what? I always wonder about voter fatigue. For me, it's kind of fun. For me, it's part of the business. Uh, people talk about voter fatigue. What I get fatigued from is the voting itself is my duty as a citizen. Yeah. Don't complain about a problem unless you're actually participating. So it's my duty to go out there and vote. But when the politicians and the bureaucrats and the talking heads on CNN tell me this is the most important election of my lifetime, when they just told me the election two years ago was the most important election <laughs> of my lifetime, and two right. years before that, this is the most important election of my lifetime, that I get fatigued by just go out there and vote. It's part of your duty. Um, I take it from a per place of privilege where I get time and I have flexibility in my job and I go vote. <clears throat> if you're a single mom or a single parent and you're trying to find, you know, an extra 30 minutes to go vote early in the morning on election day, plus get the kids ready, feed them their bacon, get them ready for school. Okay, your get it okay I with your boss. I go at six o'clock in the morning. See? Don't you? You don't even have. Don't even ask for permission. But you do have. Most companies do have that flexibility. Like you can have, you can leave early or take time off without it affecting you. So I most would, most do. But like I said, I I don't want to beat down anybody who literally can't do right, it. Right, right. You know, but most places do. Most places let you go. But what I will say is now. Uh, the excuse box is getting smaller and smaller. It really Especially is. with early voting, mm -hmm. which starts in Illinois uh, relatively soon. I think mm -hmm. next week, actually. Uh, in person as well. Early voting in person, yes. Yeah. Not absentee, early voting in person. So yeah. uh, there will be early voting sites all throughout the city of Chicago. You can go to the Chicago Board of Elections, Google that. Chicago Board of Elections, early vote, I'm sure. And they're open on the weekends. And they're open on the weekends. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> I know. Or, <laughs> I know. And if so, a mom of seven can come out and vote, everyone can do it. Like, see, there's okay. no excuses. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so you, you definitely want to early vote. And then I know for a fact in the city primary next year, when it comes to early vote, um, each ward will have uh, a centralized polling place that will be the early vote site. So the eighth ward will have one, the seventh ward will have one, um, and anybody from around the city can vote. So you live in one section of town, but you work in another section of town, you can vote for your alderman in that section of town. So you live in the 8th Ward, you can be all the way up north in the 46th Ward and still cast your vote for oh, Alderman. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to be war-specific for early voting. I love I love that idea, and I actually have voted early before, too. Like, there's times that I think I was living downtown uh, during law school, and I did it then, I'm pretty sure, just because it made more sense. Mm -hmm. And it's nice. Like, 
personally, it feels like you ever get to like the car emissions testing site and you go on a day where there's like nobody there. Right. You, the yeah, you just fly line. right in there. You get in the voting, you feel like VIP. Like, I oh shit! <laughs> like I can take my time, really figure out which one of these candidates I want to vote for. Perfect. You know, nobody's staring over my shoulder. There's only a few people there. Right. The friggin' election judge just you know doing their thing on their cell phone right. or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Friggin', I mean, if you do it the day of, it's so nerve wracking. Yeah. Because there's just every. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. It is. You know, what are you gonna do? But um, so so yeah, so we have the general or the uh, primary coming up in June. So um, I guess we'll take it from the top. Um, you know, top of the chain, uh, we P- Prisker's running on a post. In the as far as I know, uh, there may be somebody somewhere from downstate Illinois that's on the ballot, but the real, the only game in town for governor on the Democrat side is uh, J.B. Pritzker, and he's running for re-election with his lieutenant governor candidate, uh, Juliana Stratton. So they're running as, un- as incumbents, and they're taking on, on the Republican side, a pretty weighty field, a former state senator, Paul Schimpf, uh, you have uh, Jesse Sullivan, who is a uh, venture capitalist, uh, and I guess his war record is being uh, taken into question now if you're watching the commercials. Uh, you also have Darren Bailey, who's a downstate senator. Uh, Pretty well-known. He's somewhat well-known. He's still trying to get break into that Chicago market, that DuPage market, as being a better-known quality. But people may know him best for being one of the first uh, state senators walked out of the General Assembly when they reconvened of COVID because he refused to wear his mask because he believes in liberty. So, uh, oh, liberty. Amen. liberty. <laughs> yeah. Excuse liberty me. in America sounds good to me. So, uh, so he was actually uh, walked out of the General Assembly. Uh, and then you have Richard Irvin, the mayor of Aurora, yeah, uh, who uh, is the favorite of King Griffin, uh, the richest man in Illinois, the founder of Citadel, and a billionaire who, as I know of, has already given more than $20 million to support the efforts of Mayor Irvin and his running mate, Avery Bourne, who's a downstate uh, state representative. Wow. Interesting that he went downstate, too. It was like, let me show you, not only am I running as a Republican, but, like, we're family here. Like, I'm going to bring on somebody from downstate, you know, to you show know, you, I'm, you I'm you a see real that. Republican. <laughs> you see that a lot in elections where people are looking to get balance, um, especially on the Democrat side of the ledger. When you look for presidential candidates, um, going back, before Clinton, I would say all the way to JFK and LBJ, there was always a north-south pairing. So JFK, LBJ, north-south. Then that was, uh, let's go to 64. Then you got uh, LBJ and Hubert Humphrey. So you got south-north at that point. 68. Then you go 72. I forgot who the Democrat nominee was in 72. Then you jump to 76. And you have Jimmy Carter and Mondale, yeah. south-north. And then uh, 80, uh, you got uh, Mondale and Ferrara. So you can say that's kind of north-north because she was from New York. He's from Minnesota. And then with Clinton, I think some of his bona fides are being questioned, and he wanted to prove that he was a real Southerner. So he doubled down, and he picked Al Gore from from, uh, uh, Tennessee. But you'll see that often, that people are looking to get some now gender balance as well as geographic balance (laughs) to say, I have somebody on the ticket with me that makes me more appealing to you because they're from your side of town, your side of the state, your side strategy of the country. Counts. Oh, strategy much counts very much. <laughs> like you say, uh, sometimes you're trying to. I guess these candidates will be going for a more fair, balanced approach. Like I'm a northerner, but I don't want to. I don't want to neglect the south. I guess exactly. Show you I care about you. I'm gonna bring somebody from down south. We'll have a southern candidate on there. Um, I think. Know, I think Barack or Obama. In this case, the double down. Yeah, he did the double down, but I think Barack Obama picking uh, Joe Biden was a very calculated. 
let me reach out to this white male Catholic vote that Delaware, Pennsylvania area where Joe Biden does well in Pennsylvania. You always talk about he's from Scranton. Probably hasn't been back to Scranton in 50 plus years, but he's from Scranton. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, and now with Joe Biden picking Kamala Harris, you know, he had a very limited pool because he said he wanted to pick a woman. He didn't say a woman of color, but say he wanted to pick a woman. And what's surprising about Kamala Harris, I think she's the first Democrat from California on the ticket in like over 50 years. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I guess, Democrat presidential candidates forget the camera California even exists because it's not in play. You know, it's going to go blue. It's going to go Democrat. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, who knows if that'll ever change? I mean, I don't know. The, the tax rate's very high out there. There's sort of a high. lot of problems with homelessness. Of, it's obviously bad for the people that are homeless, but it also ruins the city for everybody else as sure. well. When you have tent cities built up and all this stuff going on. but and You're starting to see a little bit of that now in Chicago. Are starting to see a little bit more and more tents popping up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what the answer is, uh, you know, outside of calling the police for a loitering claim or loitering charge. But, you know, I, I, I the scary part is, yeah, that's one person that's in a bad situation. But when it happens when it's seven or ten of them and they've basically taken over a park. Right. Or in my Humble case. Park. In Humble Park? Yeah. There's oh. a little tent city in different parts of the park. Yeah. Underneath all the expressways underneath Lower Wacker Drive. Oh, I mean, yeah, over there. And then right where we go to the YPN breakfast, right by Manny's Deli. I mean, if you go around um, oh. 1994 over there, yes. you'll see a lot of But then, like, what's there. the solution, too, you know? like I mean, you can try different things. The, the, here's there's what I've all heard. these shelters that are overpopulated. Uh, there's all these mental institutions that also have been closed, so all those people are just out. It, it, there's no easy solution. Yeah, but it's like a multi-layer things, solution for that. Oh, there's definitely a multi-layer solution, and it's it, and it's going to be a trial and error thing, and it and, and it can also be a, a situation where less government could be more in those situations. Um, and the reason for that is I was listening to the Rogan podcast, and he's had a few different people talk about it, and I think one of them was the governor of Texas, or maybe it was the mayor of Austin. It was one of those two people, and he said in in Austin they have a pretty bad homeless problem too. But what they started doing was making city funds and vouchers available or something to this effect mm-hmm. to give it to these homeless people to stay at a hotel where they had low occupancy rates. So there's times where these uh-huh. hotels are down to like 20% occupancy. Which is true. What happened during COVID. And they would get But they were doing that there. in the city, right? They were yeah. doing, yeah, they the were city. actually doing that. The city um, basically got into agreement with some smaller hotels to here in Chicago, in mm-hmm. Chicago during COVID. To I think house. I saw that. Yeah, they were, but they were small ones. It yeah. wasn't like Hyatt, Marriott yeah. or any, you know, Palmer house. I believe they were actually stuff. doing them at higher end hotels too. I'll have really? to check into that. I'm not sure about I the higher so. end. I only saw on the news for like there was a small one on the north side that was like more of like a community hotel that had been around for a long time, but what whatever if that's true, great, um, because I guess the idea is that it's good for the business in in some sense. I mean, there's pros and cons and everything, but in some sense, they're getting some money from the government while mm-hmm. they're 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 down there providing good service to these people to get off the damn street to get some shelter to be able to clean up gather their life together and maybe start taking advantage of the opportunities that are out there in the private market or through you know public assistance with the government so that was one thing but also they said i think the stat and i know i don't we're, we don't fact check on here i don't have somebody that's paid to like sit here and google <laughs> some shit and tell me the right answer but they said i think that in california they spend more money on trying to get rid of homelessness within the government and yet they have the worst homeless problem because I think they're saying that a lot of the people who are employed to, to assist are making these big salaries and they're bureaucrats. And, and although they spend all this money on it, the, and the problem finally gets to the people who need yeah. it, 
or that would go to helping those people. It's it's most tiny homes would be labor. an option, you know, building tiny homes. But where do you build them here? You know, it would have to be more out in the suburbs. But the problem is a lot of the the, the, the you know the people that are homeless are here in the city. And you also have nonprofit organizations that are funding like the tents and all that stuff, food for them. So it's like there has to be a happy medium, you know, on all of this. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you need the private sector involvement as well. Um, but the thing that we that I feel that we don't get a lot of, especially in Illinois, is the accountability of how the money is actually spent or the That's say true. that we have and how it's spent. Um, it's all about the elections, which we're talking about now. So with um, with the, the, the governor, so we're, we're saying most likely unopposed um, for, for Pritzker. So he will be the Democratic candidate. So we're really talking more about the uncertainty of what's going to happen in the, the Republican um, primary. Yeah, I have no crystal ball, but yeah. I would think that right now, even though Irvin is the uh, beneficiary of a large sum of money, it's not that uh, Darren Bailey doesn't have other millionaires that are supporting him as well. Maybe not to the tune of $20 million with one drop, but uh, Dick Uline and other millionaires are supporting Darren Bailey, and he's starting to get a little bit more uh, coverage up north. Just saw the other day his lieutenant governor candidate uh, has basically cut a commercial. She's a black woman conservative. I former, saw that. Yeah, former. With Darren Bailey, right? With Darren Bailey. So, yeah, they paired up. They're paired up, They yeah. seem like they could be a formidable um, pair. I saw that commercial already. Yeah, she's – I didn't know who she was. my mm -hmm. first time learning about her, but she seemed serious business. You know? Yeah, Stephanie Trumbull is her name. So, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I think the race comes down to – Irvin, Bailey, and uh, the other gentleman I just talked about that whose war records being questioned, um, Jesse Sullivan. Jesse Sullivan. Yeah, so. Uh, I'm not really familiar with him. You know, uh, I don't know much about him either. Uh, I know he went to Iraq, but he was a DOD employee. Uh, he was a civilian employee yeah. that went to, if it wasn't Iraq, excuse me, Afghanistan. And he provided, like, uh, support to the Army. And I believe he went on patrol with those guys and all, but he was not actually a commissioned or non-commissioned officer he wasn't like somebody who had rank in the army didn't follow that same chain of command but he was an employee of a government agency he was the department of defense yes. he was not a um a soldier a soldier yes so well i mean i i personally just i guess as a matter of opinion would say i would never question anybody who was over there i mean I, especially not the if you're in the actual service but something like that i mean if you're in the danger zone and you're over there helping the effort um, not that I personally agreed with those wars or whatever, especially, you know, in hindsight, everybody can kind of see, you know, uh, what a trouble that was to our country. And when we get involved on these foreign policy things, they usually never end good, no, no matter no, no matter where we intervene, you know. Um, for 50, 60 years, you can look back at all of it, and it just doesn't really turn out well. But um, So, all right, so we have in, in, in the Republican primary, um, we have Irving, we have Bailey, we have Sullivan. Um, I've been seeing the commercials, and that's one thing that gives me a little bit of fatigue, too, because sometimes I'll turn on either the nightly news. If I get home early, I like to see, like, the, the world news, you know, just on what, what happened in the world today with Ukraine and all the different things going on, formula shortage, all these other terrible things that we're being cursed with right now. How much can <laughs> Thank we take? Thank God Brad? I don't Come have on. small children. They're just toying right with you. Like, here's a new one. You, your fucking babies are going to be starving <laughs> after you already had COVID, and you're out of work, and you're, you're mentally confused, and you're angry at everybody right now. But, um... Messed up. So... Irvin seemed like a strong candidate when I and or, or I guess to finish my point before I even get into that, that's the tough part about this because I know we're working against the clock here. The back-to-back -back commercials. I'll see one for, for against Irvin. This is this is the Republican you want. Like 
he's not really one of us, or he's this, or he's that, or he's pro. He used to be a criminal defense attorney, and he would help people get out. He's not law and order. He's he's not tough on crime at all. I'm sure the person right making that commercial one, makes like, that exact face that you're making. That, that, he's not real. I'm, I'm sure they make that exact face when you're recording the commercial. But, yeah, you know, there is a little fatigue. And, unfortunately, some people don't go beyond commercials to research their candidates. Um, but, yeah. you know. You I have, don't watch no TV, so I'm going to have to research every single one of these candidates. I know, boring life. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's just interesting. I, I'm not going to fact check any of the candidates, but I will say um, the attack on Irvin, which actually, if we're talking about the same commercial, is actually paid for by the Democrat Governors Association. So mm-hmm. that it's in basically a, Pritzker or what? Uh, well, Pritzker has given money to the DGA, the Democrat Governors Association. Yeah. They're choosing to run a commercial. So that way Pritzker's hands are clean. Uh, clean. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not running this commercial. I'm not meddling. But mm-hmm. basically what they're trying to do is say, this person over here is more conservative than Richard Irvin. So that's a message to downstate voters to say vote for this guy, Darren Bailey or whomever, who Pritzker thinks he'll have a better chance of beating. I actually think that Pritzker has some concern. Not that he's shaking his boots, but he has some concern about running against Irvin. The little known secret in Democrat politics is while the Democrats usually have a strong hold on the black vote, most times you're talking about 82 to 85%. Barack Obama was able to get that up to about 90%. The narrow, the margin of error in reducing the black vote is so little that if you went down from a normal 82% showing of all black votes cast, so let's say 77%, you know, five points, that's going to mean major trouble in large states like Illinois and nationwide. If fewer black people vote for the Democrat nominee, it actually means a lot of trouble on based on the math and the calculus of how votes are cast and who they can rely on. So just a small 5% point drop. You know, if you got 77% of the vote in any other election, if you know, you're good to go. So 77% of the black vote is still a good number. But if you could reduce turnout or reduce the number of people voting for the Democrat by just 5%, so with Richard Irvin being a black candidate, it's probably going to speak to more moderate black values. Um, and you don't have to go vote for him, but you just got to wake up and say, you know what? This guy's not the devil. I'm not incentivized to go vote, get out of my bed, cold winter, right. November day to go vote. You know what? If I had a reason to vote, and I think the last presidential election, a lot of people had a reason to go vote. Like, we got to get rid of this guy. This guy is... You know, he gave himself COVID. You know, he's he's the worst. You know, so I don't think if you had that type of uh, impetus in the black community, it could be tro- it could be problematic for the Pritzker campaign. So I'm not saying they're scared today, but they got to do everything they can, such as run these commercials to yeah. question Irvin being a true conservative to possibly get a better candidate in there, so they can keep their numbers high. Yeah, I, I mean, my guess would be that the mentality or the theory that they have is that. We get somebody who's more conservative that wouldn't be electable upstate and we'll have most of the votes there and we'll just win it that way. But if even if Pritzker's not scared, Irvin, he just seems marketable. Like, the commercials are good. They're catchy. He seems like he means business and he's genuine. I don't know the, the like, the, a lot of the facts. I know he's, you know, they talk about who he's taking money from and this and whatever. They all take money from everybody. You probably know that better than anybody else. But ran the city of Aurora pretty well. They had a shooting there in their workplace. He handled it very well at mm-hmm. that time, showed a lot of leadership for the city, so did his chief of police. He has a female chief of police out there. She handled it incredibly well. 
even when uh, Richard Irving he had COVID, he was still you know making um, you know announcements to the press and mm -hmm. still leading even at that time, and he just seems like a fresh, younger face candidate um, that that could pose a problem for Pritzker. And as well, they're saying now that they're in, they're, the people are interested to see where the African American vote is going to go because they're not so sure that folks are agreeing with Democrat current Democrat values as much as they used to because of what they've seen during COVID. Like, we know about experiments with vaccines and experimental medical research that's been done to the African-American community. Um, you know, without getting examples of that, they've been now told you have to get this vaccine in some places. Is mandated you know, I don't think it's going to be reminiscent of the Tuskegee experiment that's going to really take black people to say, I don't want to vote this time. But there's a certain mentality that's starting to, go, starting to go on in this country where handouts are becoming more of a way of life. And there's a lot of conservative black people that have worked hard to say, you know, hey, while the system has not been fair to me, I did contribute to the system. Now that everybody wants everything for free, I don't necessarily think I can agree with that. I think there's going to be a subset of black people that are really ticked off about criminal justice issues. And Democrats are always quick to say no concealed carry, no right to bear arms in certain areas. Um, and there's, I know, plenty of black people that are going to vote for whomever the candidate is that says, you know, I'm for you being able to protect yourself in a way you see proper. I think so, a lot of minorities are feeling that sentiment. Yes. Um, where we're sharing that uh, we do want the right to bear arms. We're not out there. You know, obviously you're getting it legally. You're not getting it illegally. So there's exactly. a difference with that. And, you know, I have a friend who runs a business and he's very well off. And uh, he told me he got a call from a Democrat fundraiser. I can't tell you which race or who it was. And he just said, why should I donate? And he's pretty good on donating to Democrat causes. Has also voted, uh, donated to Republicans. But the person started off with, like, criminal justice reform. And we've done this and we've done that. He said, I'm a millionaire. I, I, I've created a business. I'm not a criminal. That's not speaking to me and my values, right. you know. Right. And I think a lot of times people say, oh, we've done so well for your people. But, you know. The black population is not a monolith. And one of the problems, one of the concerns I have personally is what's being done for the middle class black to give us a step up. We did all the right things. Mm -hmm. We went to college. You know, we got decent jobs. But, you know, we're kind of still stuck in the rut. So what is going to get us out of that rut? Is it relieving student loan debt? I'm not saying yay or nay. But, you know, when it comes to poor people, government will be there to take care of them. When it comes to rich people, they exactly. can take care of themselves. But when it comes middle to that middle class... What can you do to help break right. them out of the rut to have the, the 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 joys of the 1950s middle class with two to three vacations a year, uh, stay-at-home parent. House, car. Yeah, house, car. Deal, yeah. yeah, and not saddled in debt. So I was going to say two things, though. Uh, I'm sorry, about uh, the governor's race. Two things where I'm not fat-checking anybody, but one commercial says, oh, Richard Irvin doesn't care about criminal justice. He uh, represented uh, criminals as a criminal defense attorney. Yeah. That should be celebrated. Not that I'm voting for Richard Irvin, but that should be celebrated. And the criminal justice system is an adversarial system. You have a prosecutor that's paid for by the government. You have a, a defense attorney that either is private that you pay for out of pocket or you have a public defender. And if you didn't have those two sides, this country would be a mess. Mm -hmm. Now, people would go to jail unjustly. People would not have representation. You want somebody who's going to fight for you zealously just because I represent you does not mean I believe in what you did, nor am I exonerating for what you did. Uh, so that's one commercial where I want to call BS. And then the right. other one, um, 
was uh, Richard Irvin himself, where he had some shears. And he's talking about all the stuff he's going to cut when he gets to yeah. Springfield. But he said, the one thing I won't cut is Michael Madigan's sentence. And I just kind of looked at that. That was a funny one, though. I, I like it. You do? I think it's hysterical. Because it's kind of like, they're, they're, I mean, I don't think any candidate would necessarily, whether it's Prisker or not, would pardon Mike Madigan if he's convicted, which, God, I mean, you would think they'd get him on something after 40 years because we, we all know, right? But um, And I can say that now because he was under federal indictment. Before I used to watch what I was saying here, and, you know, no disrespect to the man as a person. I don't know him personally, but um, we are in $200 billion worth of debt as a state between our pension obligations that are not funded and our health care obligations to our state workers for Blue Cross, Blue Shield, all this but um, yeah, no, I, I I like a little humor thrown in there like that. Like, you know, what? I don't know. If this guy goes to jail, like he's letting you know that I'm on your side in terms of I disagree with the Democrat corruption. Of, okay. Of, of his see, I didn't take it as humor because um, I didn't see a smile or a funny at the end. Yeah. And I actually think it played on the ignorance of the voters because Michael Madigan is not being tried by the state's attorney of Sangamon County. He's under U.S. federal indictment. So the governor of Illinois would have no say-so uh, in the pardoning yes, of, yes, yes, yes. of a federal That makes yeah, sense, he can't, yes. He can't commuter pardon that. Yes, these are federal charges. This yeah, is very serious yeah, shit. It has nothing to do with you, buddy. <laughs> I didn't, you know, go, touche, Chris. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so that's the one where I was like, okay, I'm not fact-checking, but that's the one where I was like, really? You know, and Richard Irvin and his Good people. Good for pointing that out, too. I, <laughs> right? It's still funny, nonetheless. I appreciate that. You're, to me, it is, anyway. Okay. But, um... Yeah, to, to a few points. One is, I was just saying in terms of medical research and things like that and the, you know, the mandates of a vaccine, that's just one factor. But I think the other factors are the right to self-defense, mm-hmm. especially when you're living in areas that are crime-ridden and you're telling me you know, yeah. that we're criminals for, to, for even thinking about having that right to defend ourselves. Um, you know, I, I think in Texas they say there's a saying like an armed society is a polite society or something like that. So, you know, how are the crime rates? Probably way lower. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny thing. You know, I challenge people all the time. Everybody was so concerned about concealed carry. And I'm like, you know, Texas is not the Texas of the 1880s. You know, there's not all types of shootouts happening in Texas every day. And these people have the right to bear arms in these Western states. Now, the population may be lower, but I would put crime per capita in Houston against crime per capita in Chicago and say things are much worse in Chicago than they are in Houston. And they have more availability of guns. And then the other thing that really cracks me up, not to make this more of a policy discussion, (laughs) but when they talk about all these guns that are coming from Indiana, Wisconsin, and loose federal laws. So the guns are coming from Indiana, Wisconsin. Why isn't Indiana and Wisconsin hell holes? You know, why aren't things just falling into ravaged uh, ditches in Indiana, Wisconsin? You know, there's an issue with poverty. There's an issue with lack of education. There's an issue of values and all those type of things. But don't say... They're coming from Indiana and Wisconsin, and that's the problem. The problem is the mentality of the person who's willing to pick it up to do nefarious activity exactly. with. Yeah, and I'm a believer in, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And I also believe that it's hard to break cycles of life, you know, right. when, you're, when you're stuck in a position. But you shouldn't be a punching bag for these hurt people either, you know? like. No, no, no. I agree with that 100%. That's, I'm all about I that. I thought one of the most tragic things with the shooting that happened at Millennium Park um, oh, yeah. a few weeks ago was that the gentleman that was shot, the young man, uh, had one of his life goals is to reach the age of 21. Wow, like and 21. Yeah, that that was a life goal. He he died at 17. Yeah, but his life goal was to reach the age of 21. Whereas you know already at 17, I'm thinking about how many books I'm gonna write. You know what island I'm gonna live on. I'm gonna die an old man but rich. You know things that are not gonna happen now. But <laughs> I still had dreams, and his dream was only to make it another four years, and he thought he achieved something. So. 
it, again, speaks to the depravity of our society. It sure does. I mean, uh, you, you had some great things to say on the last podcast about, you know, like the food deserts and the business deserts east of, I don't know if it was 95th or I can't remember where. Probably like Stony Island. Something. But we, we'll, I would love to have you back again to talk, to flush stuff out uh, about that a little more. So, because, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, making a change uh, for the better. Like around here in this area, we have we have a decent amount of restaurants. Um, I mean, it's still pretty congested here on our main thoroughfares. But mm-hmm. if you wanted to get a breakfast, you can go to Three Sons Restaurant. Or if you want dinner, you know, Dan. Are they paying for the advertising? No, I'm not that important yet, you know, but uh, maybe one day. Who knows, call it, nice. call it. You but will be. I'm saying, <laughs> you are. I, I said, yeah. I put that <laughs> not in yet. It. You want to manifest so, it. But, yeah, no, so um, I, I, I just feel like I would hope that it, it seems like in the past maybe African-American community, not trying to generalize, but align more with the Democratic sure. Party. But I think the notion is out there now that, yes, we do believe in some things like self-defense and we believe in not having to be required to do things. And then also, I don't think everybody wants handouts either. We know that like having a sense of purpose and having a job or something to get up in the morning um, to do is, 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 a, is a rewarding thing on a personal level. And that is in and of itself is just a good example for the people around too. Like, oh, you know, where's Jim at? Oh, the motherfucker ain't sitting around here. Like, he's gone. That guy's at work or whatever. You know what I mean? And I, I just feel like once we have that equality of not just opportunity but more of the outcome too where like I was talking to Frank Williams um, uh, you know Hall of Famer Frank Williams Realtor Hall of Famer Realtor Chicago Association Realtor Hall of Famer and just all around good guy and just uh, you know honored to know him and have um, you know I had a great experience with him recently went out to a fair housing conference in Crystal Lake and I had to I was had the the honor of sitting with him in this hotel and we had a glass we had a drink each and just watched the sports center and chatted about the conference the next day but anyway, he was just saying that, you know, the African-American people want a, a real seat at the table where their, their, their voices and their opinions are heard and that the policy that affects them, that they have a choice in the matter. And, and, I, and I think that's all you can really ask for. And I just hope that whatever mayoral candidate gets in next or whatever, just as we were the youth of the generation taking on this torch, that we can better some of this. Because in many communities in Chicago since after Martin Luther King was assassinated they haven't been the same since they no. just, the business is left they never came back it's been the west side's been the west side and you know the far south side and the, the southeast side have been that way too and it, you know businesses haven't come back but also African Americans have not had the chance to you know a lot of the businesses left the southeast side and, and stuff like that where you wouldn't have those ham and eggs or a steak and eggs mm-hmm. place to go to real quick or whatever that we have around here but we'll see what happens with the, with the governor race then I mean Irvin um, seems it, it seems a little bit that JP would, feels kind of uh, Pritzker feels a little. Yeah, um, I would think I would think if JB Pritzker had an early Christmas list, it's not for Richard Irvin to be the Republican candidate that he faces in November. Uh, but JB Pritzker has a lot of money; he's going to utilize a lot of it. And a lot of people in Democrat circles say part of the reason why they want the DNC convention here, which uh, they fill out an official application for. Uh, is that you know maybe one day he wants to run for president? He's a relatively young man, uh, yeah. with lots of money. So he does two successful terms as governor. You know Joe Biden does a run for re-election. Republicans take control of the White House in 2024. Who knows? You know we may be talking about a J.B. Prisker, you know presidential campaign. But you got to get invo- you got to get re-elected as governor first. So yeah. uh, step number one, uh, and then you know going down the ballot on the Democrat side, Secretary of State. That's probably going to be the most contentious 
high-ranking statewide primary that we have to deal with. You have Alexi Janulius, who's the former uh, treasurer. You have Anna Valencia. Alexi for us. I've been seeing this. <laughs> yes. Here. You have Anna Valencia, the current uh, city clerk for the city of Chicago, but she's actually from, I believe, Granite City, Illinois, like central Illinois. And then you have David Moore, who's a alderman in the city of Chicago, uh, the only African-American in the race. Uh, it looks like Alexi is pretty much uh, running the table on that race, but a lot of people say, you know, these polls may not be accurate. You know, don't underestimate. As I talked about earlier in the, in the race, you know, you got one woman in the race, a Latina. You got an emerging Latina, uh, Latino, Latina vote uh, coming about in the city and the state of Illinois. Um, you know, don't count her out. So, again, I have not seen any poll numbers yet, but that's another race that a lot of people keep their eyes on. But, you know, all the money and all the organized endorsements, with the exception of Jesse White, are basically lining up with Janulius. And uh, the one big endorsement that Anna Valencia received was uh, the current office holder, and that's Jesse White, who's somewhat beloved because of just a nice old man, and plus his tumblers, you know, that Jesse White tumblers. Yeah, have been at every county fair, you know, 25 Bulls games a year. You know, everybody Great. loves the Jesse White tumblers, yeah. Well, it would be nice if they carry on that tradition even when he's, you know, yeah. allowed, he, he's no longer in office. I'm sure the Jesse White Tumblers, my grandkids will be talking about they went to go see the Jesse White Tumblers. And that's something he's done a great job with as far as changing the lives of people on the near west side, Cabrini Green. You know, when there was a Cabrini Green, we're talking about the good times days. Not not, not the area now that's basically an extension of uh, Lincoln Park in Old yeah, Town. Gentrified. But, you know, uh, the good old days of Cabrini Green, yeah, he's changed some lives and given people some opportunities. And we need more of that. We need to change our educational system too, to encompass and start talking about like entrepreneurship, discovering passion, but also include healing modalities into that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I believe there's there's a lot of things. In and by that, I don't mean like counselors. Like these poor counselors are like jam packed with all these caseloads, and you need that individualized therapy um maybe not call it therapy call it something else different modalities that can help our I think, children i think that people need to learn how to handle emotions because emotions drive a lot of our decisions and they can drive them really quickly in the wrong direction so i think i think that's something they kind of need to focus on in schools and also right now they a lot of the education curriculum is tailored to make us worker bees when right not everyone's a worker bee. especially with with a lot of jobs that are no longer here like you kind of got to think about ways to make money and have that accrue to you because i told my staff this today i don't even know if you were here when i said this to them before they oh left. yeah i was here none of us are going to get rich doing this like just working with our hands and our mind like we have to have some kind of stream of income that's going to accrue to us another business uh, investments in real estate or the stock market and whatever yeah you have um, to have what six what do they say like six uh streams of income you know at I'm, I'm short by like five right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And my stocks, I started investing last year. I put in a little bit, and they've taken a nasty hit lately. The market's been down. Hit. So yeah. I'm going to hang on to them, whatever. I'm, I'm saving them from when I'm old, so I'm not worried about what they're at right now. But um, So we, we talked about the governor, the secretary of state, uh, any state reps that are... You know what? Um, there's no state rep race that really jumps out at me right now uh, because uh, some people position themselves. There's going to be some new faces in Springfield no matter what. Uh, it's a safe bet in the city of Chicago. If you're running for state rep in the city proper and you win the Democrat primary, you pretty much have won the election. You're not going to have any real Republican opposition in the city of Chicago uh, for your state rep race. But um, in the case of uh, Congress, even, 
uh, on the first congressional district, Bobby Rush has decided to retire. You have like literally 20 people looking to succeed him. Shout out to Nakia Pipion McGriff, the former. Uh, is she? Um, she is on the. She's on the ballot. Yeah, nobody? former former president of the Chicago Association of Realtors. Yeah, just uh, um, the last year. Two years ago. Two years ago. Oh uh, no, no, excuse me. Well, she yeah, was, it was the former. Maurice was before. Yeah, the uh, former term. She's the former term. She's a candidate. Um, you have another contested race for Congress uh, in uh, Danny Davis's district. He should prevail, uh, but we have a challenge. Where I would say from the left, it's going to kind of line up as that like Bernie Sanders versus the establishment type of race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The same thing could be said in the Illinois Third uh, because we lost population. Remember, we did our census. That's why we have a drawing or redrawing of districts. Yeah. Uh, the third is now represented by uh, Marie Lipinski. Excuse yeah. me, I'm Marie Lipinski. Excuse me. It was represented by Dan Lipinski. Then they have a new congressman who beat Dan Lipinski. Yeah. And they basically redrawn it so it includes what used to be the old six. So Sean Caston, who is the uh, current office holder from the sixth district, is now running in the third against Marie Newman. That's who I meant to say. Marie Newman. Marie Newman. And, and she's the current. So and she's the rep. current rep in the third. Yeah. So now you got two Democrats challenging each other to, for this new third seat. I would say that uh, that Caston is the favorite. Uh, I'd be Even very surprised. Well, Caston's an incumbent also. Oh. He's the incumbent in the sixth congressional yeah. district. Newman is the incumbent in the third. Yeah. Because we lost one congressional seat this year. Yeah, yeah. Because yes. of redistricting. Yes. So now they've merged the third and the sixth together. So now they have to face off. They have to face off each other in the Democrat primary. Yeah. So I, I expect Caston to win. Then uh, I've already talked about Danny Davis. And then uh, you have a new congressional district that's formed to represent. You had one Latino district that was held by Luis Gutierrez and then now Chuy Garcia. And now you have a second Latino district that's further north. And uh, the two challengers there, or the two prominent challengers, are Gilbert Viegas and uh, a state rep uh, who's really bad on realtor issues. Uh, her name escapes me right now. Uh, but I would love for Gil Viegas to win that, but she's really good. She's a on-the-ground community organizer. I would not be surprised if she won that race, uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, the good thing about that district, it stretches into the suburbs. And I think Gill's message will speak more to some suburban voters, the people that aren't looking again for the handouts, the Bernie Sanders type. Um, and, you know, that might be enough for him to prevail, but we'll see. So because of that and a lot of movement that's happening, you know, you got state senators running for Congress seats. You got aldermen running for uh, secretary of state. Some people are opting to give up their seats. So I said all that to say that in Springfield, when they reconvene in January, there's going to be a lot of new faces, not a majority of new faces, but there will be a lot of new faces. Uh, Jackie Collins, the state senator, is choosing to run for the first congressional seat. Um, so there's going to be a new state senator from her district. Um, there's a couple of state reps here and there that are opting to retire. So they have new people coming in. There's a couple of state reps that are being challenged pretty heavily. Uh, Lindsay LaPointe is being challenged pretty heavily by a realtor member. Uh, I'm hoping that she can kind of give her the business, but we'll see. Uh, so, you know, there's going to be some few new faces in Springfield, but uh, there's opportunity and challenge there. People like myself in the business I'm in, it means I got to make new friends, right? You know, it's not about my love for Brian or my love for this person. It's about making sure that my interests are heard when I go down to Springfield or go to City Hall or go into the county board meeting and I talk to the representative and try to convince them or educate them on the needs of the people I represent or my lobby. 
well said. I guess I'll just ask you one last thing because I, I know your time is limited. You need to get home with your family for as much running around. And to it's funny when you talk about family and you start talking about we make emotional decisions. I'm about to go home to my stepson who's nine and not quite ten, but we'll be ten soon. And lots of emotional decisions there, but I look forward to seeing my little guy. I hear you. Um, well, I guess lastly then, um, what do you think the issues are that will drive the election? What are what are voters looking for in terms of issues and outside of the name recognition of these candidates? What, what do you think are the, the maybe... Are you specific four, to Illinois or just overall? Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like they overlap a little bit, but, but they, Illinois. They, Illinois. They overlap a lot. And I would say Illinois, that criminal justice issues are, are prevalent. It's in your face. Mm-hmm. You can't go downtown anymore. Uh, you're scared for your kid. Uh, already, I'm already foreshadowing what is it going to be like to raise a 16-year-old black man six years from now or yeah six and a half years from now um and the the leash i'm gonna need to have on him versus some of the liberties i had when i would literally leave a note for my mom went downtown to hang out with some friends went to evergreen plaza be home in five or six hours and no cell phone back in those days no tracking you know i can only imagine what it's going to be like five or six years from now like you see something on the news get home right away go to your Go to your cousin's house or your aunt's house that's nearby, and I'll pick you up. Uh, So I think criminal justice is going to be a big issue. Violence, criminal justice. Yeah, but the reason I asked about national is because if there was one godsend for the Democrat Party, and I was actually in D.C. when this happened, uh, get ready to go to bed, I think on a Tuesday night, and the leak of the Supreme Court uh, ruling that's uh, set to come out in a couple of weeks that possibly will overturn Roe Roe versus Wade. Um. that has people fired up. Democrat activists fired up. And I do believe the polls, um, outside of my mother, who's a sweet Christian woman, you know, most people uh, see some some option for abortion being needed um, legally in this country. Um, You know, but you get your devout Christians who don't believe in it or devout religious people that don't believe in it. But I believe the polls that 60% of the people, give or take, want some form of abortion on the books. They probably don't want abortion on demand. They don't want people to use it as birth control. But rape, incest, the mother's life's in danger. I agree um, with that. All those type of things. And I think this is really going to rally the Democrat base. I think it's going to be hard to hold on to the House. Uh, just numbers and elections whenever a president. The Illinois House? Or no, the, excuse the, me. The, the, the federal. The federal House. Yeah. Whenever you have a president elected, usually that next election, the midterm, usually swings the other way. You know, it kind of moderates itself. Now they're stuck with a Republican Congress or, yes. or House. Yeah. yeah, so right now you had a Democrat House because, again, the guy that was in the White House was so bad. He failed to uh, campaign for two United States senators in Georgia when he had the opportunity to. Uh, so you have a Democrat Senate. You have a Democrat House. Uh, it's going to be really hard for Democrats to keep the House, and it's going to be hard for them to keep the Senate as well. But I think you have some opportunities and some options when it comes to the Senate and math. So I would say that, you know, what's going to be pushed upon us, and you can see a little bit now even in Illinois, even though we're a safe blue state, they're already talking about abortion funds in Illinois where women from out of town want to come here. They'll be able to get, uh, you know, the medical procedure they need. Uh, I think it's going to be top in mind in many other places that the Supreme Court is looking to take away your rights. And it's not a slippery slope to say if they're able to take Roe v. Wade, which had 50 years of precedence, 
what would they do about things like gay marriage that have only been around for the last five to eight years or some other rights that we've uh, come to enjoy and the Supreme Court will actually find themselves in a position of taking away rights and that's why elections are important you know if you had a Democrat in office and a Democrat Senate in office you wouldn't have this Republican majority on the court so I think that's going to be a big thing but in Illinois I think a lot of it's going to come down to crime and uh, law and order type issues we didn't talk about it much um, but you know at the county level there's a county board race the sheriff uh, is up for re-election as well he doesn't catch a lot of heat Tom Dart's just a lovable guy that everybody likes that you wanted you want Tom Dart to be your neighbor I uh, see him winning re-election easily but a lot of the crime and justice issues don't really touch him actually driving out here today driving down uh, Archer closer to the Chinatown side of Archer there's a large sheriff's police presence out there I know they have an agreement with the CPD to kind of help patrol certain neighborhoods so that's obviously one of them they have a mobile command out there I saw four or five sheriff's cars coming in um, to come see you today and then the other race I think is gonna be big that we can touch on is the assessors race which actually affects my industry so I'm a little jaded I'm a little biased um, and I will be honest with you people say have you seen the numbers for the assessors race and I have not seen any polling numbers myself but everybody keeps talking about how the incumbents numbers are so bad, which is so hard to believe, considering that during the crisis, during COVID, he actually gave people COVID adjustments. Um, mom and pop homeowners like us actually got a letter in the mail from Fritz Kagey saying, I reduced your assessed value, your assessed value due to the crisis we're in. Yeah, I saw it as a real estate attorney on the taxes. Yeah. And so people are saying that his numbers are really, really bad. I think uh, Kerry Steele is smart energetic as true disclaimer she was my chairperson of the cook county young democrats when i was a young democrat i'm an old democrat now but when i was a young democrat so i've known carrie a long time she's president of the metropolitan water reclamation district first black woman to do so it's a unit of government most people don't even know what they do but out this way you guys are probably a little bit more familiar with mwrd because you have one of their facilities not far from here uh, but i think it's a well over a billion dollar unit of government she's running now as the president and she's challenging Fritz Kage. Uh People ask about what her bona fides are and say, you know, is she just chasing her office or, you know, does she really understand what's going on? And I would say there's no school for assessors, even though there is actual school for assessment. But being the political face of the assessor's office, there's no school for it. Fritz is a financial analyst by trade, so he understands numbers. But I will say my friend Carrie is a chemist by by trade you know she worked for a cosmetic company before she got into politics she understands numbers and i don't think assessments and numbers and billions of dollars and all those facts and figures are going to scare her so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that race as well we'll see and, and in terms of that one i think what happened with kagi was prior assessor Berrios, right he had all sorts of issues with his with him being assessor, right? Family working within the office it's like you know the nepotism type thing that they always talk about problem with chicago politics but on on a actual like policy level, my understanding is that he somehow kept assessments artificially low for some or for people in general. And then when Kagi got in, he says, "No, no, no! Like this is how it really should be." And the assessments went up to where what he thinks is more of a normal, reasonable level or whatever. He wasn't keeping these things artificially low. And correct correct me when I'm wrong or whatever. That it's people saw sticker shock. So he got like Jesus Christ for real. Like my taxes are have gone up this much on the reassessments when barrios tend to keep them lower for certain people or whatever i don't know but i think that's why i don't like him because the taxes are are higher under him even though he's done like you said he automatically made the exemptions and discounts renewable during covid because of course 
they, you know, the government was half shut down and, you know, it's hard for people to reapply during those times. And then, um, you know, uh, you were mentioning, uh, what was the other issue with the, um, you know, the uh, lowering the assessed value yes. so people's tax bills were lower during COVID. Um, but he, I think he, the reason he got a bad rap is that the, the assessments went up under him because he was being honest about how he assessed. Um, so values. I can't speak to uh, Mr. Barrios, I, and I, nor will I speak to him, I should say. And did he artificially keep some low or keep some high? There's a lot of allegations about, you know, if you have the right attorney to go challenge your real estate assessment, you get a lower assessment. I can't speak to any of that. But what I can say is uh, is an unenviable position to be the assessor in Cook County. Um, you, we, we have a system that's just very different from a lot of other places. Uh, you have triennial assessment where the north side is reassessed one year, then the next year, south the side south side is reassessed, side, yeah. then the west side and downtown are reassessed. So it's on a rolling basis. Um, then with COVID, you know, the assessors kind of caught from behind because, you know, you're thinking, hey, people are losing their jobs. They won't be able to appeal. People won't be able to afford their property taxes. But then value shoots through the roof, right? So uh, it's one of those things where, like you said, that sticker shock is definitely there for some people. I actually had someone who owns uh, multiple multifamily apartment buildings say he saw his assessment go up 300%. Uh, and what KG will always say, just because your assessment goes up does not mean your tax bill goes up. I think that's somewhat disingenuous. I mean, there's a large, complicated formula that, again, I can't get into. I'll let KG and Carrie Steele, with their math minds, get into it. But there's an equalizing value. There's a tax rate that is driven off your assessed value. But if your assessment goes up, I've never seen a situation personally where, where your tax bills go down with your assessment going up. So, yeah. um it might be one of those situations where maybe Fritz K didn't do anything wrong, but people just want change. Kind of like Joe Biden right now. He didn't cause a war in Europe. He didn't cause gas prices to go up. I see it as being so hypocritical sometimes where people say they, they want they don't want government involved in your life. But like you're talking about, now all of a sudden government has to get in the, in the business of baby formula. Now, it's easy for me to say as a person who doesn't have small children, <laughs> but, you know, I thought we didn't want government, you know. The government said basically the Abbott Labs did something was wrong. Baby formula being produced there was uh, tainted and contaminated and could yeah. yeah. possibly hurt or kill your baby, which you don't want either. And they had a, uh, reports of a few deaths. I don't. Yeah, and, and so that that's true for the sake of conversation that nursing is the you know nursing all the way. <laughs> and so now you're in a situation where you have one company that has I don't want to say a monopoly, but a huge market share, 70 percent. And when you shut them down, things happen. So it's just interesting to see Kagi, like Joe Biden, might just be uh, in the wrong place at the right, wrong time. Yeah, so. yeah, wrong place at the wrong time. He's just a victim of the times. So. Yeah, but well, yeah, we so. have a lot of we have a lot of interest in races coming up. So if you're tied to the commercials now, then I think you just want to watch Netflix to June 28th because I think more commercials are going to come on the air. Rebuttal <laughs> commercials are going to come on the air. I don't know how they do it with the strategy. Like, do they get the schedule of commercials and they see? For the rebuttal, they're like, okay, uh, Pritzker put his on that time. All right, well, then we'll put ours right afterward. I don't think you could buy it that way, but I think sometimes they're back to back. They're back to back. You buy blocks of time. It could Um, just be because those are the times that most people are watching. They want that commercial slot at that time. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of that. Um, I'm trying to think sports wise, we're in a cycle right now where the baseball teams aren't doing you know, great where you want a bunch of commercials during baseball games. But people strategically put commercials on during certain shows, certain times. 
there's a whole business of running for office. It's not just a candidate gets out there one day and says, I want to be governor. I want to be president. There's a team of policy people behind them. There's a team of strategists behind them. A strategy is on-the-ground strategy. Strategy is uh, media strategy. Uh, what words do we say in lieu of other words? So we hear people talk about dog whistles. You know, you might say something that is not overtly trying to convey what you're trying to get across, but people pick up on what you're with the message you're trying to get. So, um, you know, for those who are campaign professionals, you know, this is their Super Bowl every two years. This is their Super Bowl to get their person reelected. And, you know, you have a finite amount of money, even though people say there's too much money in politics. You know, you don't have like. An open checkbook, you know, how much are you going to spend on field organization? How much are you going to spend on digital media? How much are you going to spend on traditional media? Uh, is phone banking dead? That's a big conversation in in, um, in the worlds of, uh, yeah. yeah, phone banking. <laughs> like, literally, picking up the phone. Hi, I'm Chris Anderson. I'm calling because I want you to vote for my friend Brian for dog catcher. Let me tell you why Brian's the greatest. Oh, yeah. You know. I'll get after him. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's just a conversation. Is that part of campaigning dead? You still need your old school yard signs, you know, if nothing else, to scare off your opponents, you know, to have a big blitz and to show your yard signs. And yeah. There's, you, you need there's a so much. holistic thing just because of the amount of avenues and channels there are to, to promote and um, to, to um, politic, yeah. I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know if that's the right word. Electioneering. 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 To promote yourself and to mm-hmm. campaign. Well, Chris... I admire you for, for getting involved at a young age and acquiring the wealth of knowledge that you have about government and politics and races and um, how to navigate all that. And I appreciate you sharing it with us and um, taking the time out because you're a busy person, um, you know, and, and you got a family. And so we won't keep you any longer, but I feel like, man, we could podcast for another hour and a half or whatever. Come on. <laughs> again in the future sure. every few months or whatever sure. um, and share your knowledge with us and your thoughts on the situations and um, like you say this was we tried to keep this more of a um, election conversation than a policy conversation but if you have time to stick around we might hit some of the policy points after this oh wow we'll see we'll see um, in, in a minute or two but thank you very much for being here thank you and um, and taking the time to share that with us we'll see how this all plays out and then maybe we'll have a chat after it's all said and done, too. Once he's, uh, maybe you have a podcast where Chris is right and where Chris is wrong. Maybe that'll be your next podcast. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever the case may be, I'll leave that up to you. I, I'm not here to prove anybody right or wrong or whatever. I mean, I think you gave us some more general knowledge this time. And we're just talking about, our, you know, based on our own observations as citizens here and, and all that, uh, in addition to, you know, being professionals in the business. So. Thanks again for sharing that knowledge with us, man. You, you you know it so well. You seem to be a little bit of a historian and also really up on the game of uh, politics in Illinois and I'll how try to navigate to be. it. So please do, man, because, uh, you know, it's been hard out here for a pimp, you know, in this game, like with the landlords and stuff like that. I, that's a whole other thing I want to talk about. Another one about, you know, um, as far as the new fair notice law, fair notice, give them more and more time. Like you exactly. can't have your property back for four months if they've been there longer than three years. Whatever. That's another conversation for another time. So we'll take a break on that, and uh, thanks again, Chris. For being no, here. thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you.